You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, just thank you so much for your presence here. Thank you for these dear, precious people. We can all fellowship together. Please enlighten us and inspire us as we study your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so a quick review from yesterday, uh, especially of the enthronement verses. We notice that right in the introduction, uh, Jesus' enthronement, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, is mentioned. Everything in that introduction is important, and it's built upon from there. And so we, we noticed uh, among the seven verses quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 is from Psalm, uh, Psalm 2, uh, Psalm 2, verse 7, if I'm not mistaken, but certainly from Psalm 2. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And we looked at Hebrews chapter 5 and also the book of Acts to see how the New Testament church, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understood this verse. They did not understand it in some kind of, you know, uh, coming forth or being created, anything like that. But they applied it to Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' enthronement. We mentioned yesterday that in the book of Hebrews, as also in the New Testament to some degree, especially in the book of Hebrews, the resurrection and the enthronement are looked upon as one event. Now, when I say enthronement, uh, I, I just to say, as I mentioned yesterday, I'm talking about when Jesus returned to heaven as a conqueror and the heavenly welcome which finally came to his being, you know, his sacrifice being accepted and he uh, taking his place at the right hand of God. As we said yesterday, this is the main point of the book of Hebrews because it's written for the encouragement of the discouraged. And you can see that in various verses throughout the book of Hebrews. And then, uh, and, and so Psalm 2, verse 7 is well known as an enthronement psalm. This was a psalm that was used at the time when Israel's king would be enthroned. You can read that, it's pretty clear if you just read the psalm. So this psalm is used and, re and, and applied, of course, to the enthronement of all enthronements, right? And because, again, uh, the throne of Israel was the throne of God, that was the plan, right? Plan A. And then um, um, from, from uh, I want to say Isaiah, what, what, uh, drawing a blank, no, 2 Samuel chapter 7, or 1 Samuel chapter 7, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 7, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. This is Hebrews 1.5, this is being quoted to, to point us to the enthronement of Jesus, and uh, here again, this is at the time that uh, the Lord was telling David that Solomon will be the one to build his house. And he talked to him. He told David that he will you know, establish Solomon's kingdom, that his throne will be forever and ever, and that he will be 
to Solomon a father, and Solomon will be a son. Well, again, this is literally an enthronement, right? And so here it's applied to Jesus' enthronement in eternity. Thank you, Second Samuel. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, you can blame everything I, for the next year or so. You can blame everything on COVID, right? <laughs> Pardon? I did terribly. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I can blame it on COVID, but anyway. And then Hebrews 1, 8, and 9. I'm not even sure I quoted this yesterday. I don't remember, but here it says it's so plain. To the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. I mean, that's... Therefore, God, your God, is anointed with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So these verses all pointed to the enthronement. That is, when Jesus returned as a conqueror to heaven, as He Himself said in the Revelation, that he overcame and hath sat down with his father on his throne. Now, Hebrews 1.13, the last of the seven verses quoted, quoted from Psalm 110, verse 1, uh, as chapter 1, verse 3 was an allusion, at least, to Psalm 110, verse 1, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, do I make your enemies your footstool? Here is the early church declaring that the the humble man from Galilee has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And of course, okay, I didn't even put Hebrews 8 verse 1, which tells us that Jesus' enthronement is the main point of everything that's been set up to that time. So that is a quick review of yesterday. And we noticed yesterday that those seven verses were bookcased, if I can put it that way, or sandwiched by two verses that say the same thing, and the and the or two lines that say the same thing. Hebrews one five. But to which of the angels did he ever say? Hebrews one thirteen. But to which of the angels has he ever said? So they enclose those seven verses as sort of a literary setup. Okay saying, hey, this is the beginning of a section, this is the end of a section here. you got the seven quotes there in the middle. And I, I say that, okay, and then after that came the exhortation, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Um, you know, you should be really listening to this son. And then after the exhortation, he comes back to the, the uh, comparison of Jesus with angels, Right? So I'm just trying to let you see. There's an exhortation, but he comes right back. In chapter 1, uh, he is comparing Jesus to the angels. To which of the angels has he ever said? And so he comes right back. For he has not put the world to come. And we talked about this verse yesterday. He's not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. And, and it's important to remember that this is a present tense of which we're talking about. What do you mean this is what you're talking about? Well, all the way through chapter 1. This is what we've been talking about. Not this present world, but the world to come. And that is one of the points, one of several points that helped us to realize that Hebrews 1 verse 6, which said uh, that all the angels of God worship Him, was spoken by the Father 
regarding Jesus at the time of his enthronement. One of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible to me. Can you imagine having been there? And we'll be able to see a rerun of that, I'm positive. And all the angels, because they were holding back, they were waiting until Jesus' sacrifice was ratified. They were literally waiting to, to worship him because Jesus held them back. Okay, so I just want to make this point that Jesus, the angels wanted to worship him and adore him. As soon as he came back, he, he actually held them back. He went to the Father. His sacrifice was ratified. And then the Father said, let all the angels of God worship. All right. I want you to notice that the same literary um, method is used in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 5, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Hebrews 2, 16, For indeed he does not give his help to angels, but he gives help or aid to the seed of Abraham. So these two, these are again your sandwiches, your bread on each end of a sandwich. So it's telling us what in, what's in between those two verses is a unit, just like in chapter 1. In other words, um, you have a piece of bread here, right? Then you have, I don't know, sesame oat burger on there, and tomato and everything, and then you have the outer piece of bread, right? That's what these two are, two outer pieces of bread holding together what's between them. So we know these, this is a unit that goes together. Okay, this is New King James. Um, I, I, I'm, I can't remember what the King James... Right, okay. Well, um, I can tell you what it says to give aid. The word literally means to take hold of. To take hold of, okay? However, what you say, what you said, he took man's nature, is clearly enunciated in other verses in Hebrew. So, yeah. Okay. So, these two chapters go together. Chapter 1, chapter 2. They both have their you know, units that I just pointed out. Chapter 1 um, is talking about Jesus' enthronement as the Son, right? Chapter 2 is filling us in on Jesus' humanity. Divine, human. Any questions so far? I don't... I remember the first part, the first several minutes was review from yesterday. I went fast, but how are we doing so far then? Okay, now you know there's absolutely no such thing as a stupid question, okay? And uh, we, we just... Okay. So back to picking up then again. He has not put the world to come of which we are speaking in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, this is Psalm verse 8, 
What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him over the works of your hands. Now this is Psalm verse 8. But you can see Genesis here, right? Crown him with glory and honor. Made in the image of God, Genesis tells us. Set him over the works of your hands. You know, uh, be fruitful, multiply. Subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So you can clearly see in Psalm 8 the echoes from Genesis chapter 1. And I just, I, I didn't make any slides on this, but I'll just mention this, that from what I just said, you got, you're familiar with in uh, Romans chapter 5 when it talks about Jesus as the second Adam. So this is sort of what chapter 2 is about, the second Adam. I mean, it's the same, there are, there are, Definite, uh, because, because of the connection to Genesis, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, this is one of many things I find in the book of Hebrews that strengthens my conviction that the book of Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. Anyway, because the Apostle Paul talked about first Adam, second Adam, he used Genesis. Okay. Um, and though, anyway, okay. And that's not, that is uh, in the world today, the theological world today, that is a definitely a minority viewpoint, okay? <laughs> Just so you know that. Okay, but uh, all right. So, you have put all things under in subjection under his feet. That's the quote, okay? Psalm chapter 8. Now comes some comment. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Okay? He's just commenting on what is mentioned in uh, chapter 8 of Psalm, Psalm 8, which is in itself a reflection of Genesis. And then he says plainly to his friends who are listening, uh, but we do not yet see all things put under him. I mean, they're being persecuted, you know, they, they've had their, their belongings taken away from them and, and everything. And so he frankly acknowledges, ah, we're not quite there yet, okay? We do not see all things yet put under him. But we see Jesus. So he's, he, he points out Psalm 8 to the persecuted, struggling people. As I mentioned yesterday, the book of Hebrews, almost for sure, which is a majority view, by the way, was first preached before written down. And so he tells them, um, yeah, we haven't come there yet, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. So this goes back to the enthronement, of course. So he, he simply says, look, uh, 
All things are not in subjection to the human race, but we see Jesus, who, by the way, became a part of the human race. We see that He has already been crowned with glory and honor. And it's, it's fairly simple. Uh, basically, what he's saying here is very simple. Look, he quotes Psalm 8, which calls for the subjection of everything under human beings. And he frankly acknowledges that that hasn't come yet. But he points to the forerunner who himself suffered. He is crowned now with glory and honor. He's a human. He, he became human and he is now crowned with glory and honor. That's his simple point. So they should take courage and as we're going to see as we go on here, they too will follow him. You follow me there? You follow that? Three basic steps. The Bible promised that all things would put in subjection to human beings. Um, it's certainly not that way. But we do see Jesus, who has been crowned with glory now. So, just a little bit digression here to talk about Psalm 110 and Psalm 8. We've just been studying Psalm 8. We saw Psalm 110 used twice already, quoted twice in chapter 1. And I've stated that it's sort of the foundation for the whole book, Psalm 110. And so I want to point out to you, first of all, so here's Psalm 110, verse 1, as quoted in Hebrews 1.13. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Here is Psalm 8, verse 6, as quoted in Hebrews 2, verse 8. Uh, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Okay. Psalm 110, uh, Psalm 8, verse 6. And then, uh, again, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Okay. So, maybe it's, it's important to point out that Psalm 8, verse 6 and Psalm 110, verse 1 are regularly used together in the New Testament. So again, we're looking at, we're looking at the early church and how the Holy Spirit opened to them the Scriptures as they presented Jesus to the world. The first message what are they doing? They're using the Old Testament Scriptures. And light is shining from them that the Pharisees and scribes never saw. I think every time except for one, when, when uh, Psalm 8, verse 6, and certainly used together with Psalm 110, verse 1, are used, it's always about Jesus. I'm talking about Psalm 8, verse 6, sorry. Just by itself. Okay. Here's an example here. Ephesians 1, verse 20 through 22. Talks about the power of God, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand. That's Psalm 110, verse 1. 
in the heavenly places. And he put all things under his feet. That's Psalm 8, verse 6. This, by the way, is the Apostle Paul, right? So, Apostle Paul puts these two things together in Ephesians chapter 1, and the author of Hebrews puts them together in the book of Hebrews. As we'll see in just a moment. Okay. Um, is there a seat for this young pastor here? <sighs> okay, ready? Here's 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Enemies from Psalm 110, verse 1, under his feet from Psalm 8, verse 6. Okay. So these passages are put together. These are two examples. And just digressing a little bit more, we're not really digressing. Notice as this verse goes on, it says, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Okay, we're, we're familiar with that verse, right? So notice they're taking this from... Uh, uh, Paul is taking this from Psalm 110, verse 1. Sit here at my right hand till I put all your enemies under your feet. And Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is taking this you know, beyond intelligent beings to death itself. See what I'm saying? The last enemy to be destroyed or put under his feet is death. So the light and glory of God is shining from Psalm 110, verse 1. Yes? You know, I shared uh, the major ones yesterday. Did I get... Uh, I'll bring some notes from yesterday, tomorrow. I ran out of them. I didn't. I forgot to bring yesterday's notes today. But I have that information in, in yesterday's notes. I have the main ones. There's too many allusions to... Really count, but it's. I believe that's true, but I, I I'm not going to say it because I'm not 100 percent sure. But yes, I believe that is true. All right. So here we go. Um. The last thing that will be destroyed is death. And notice here in Hebrews two, as much then. Comparing to the last two, 1 Corinthians 15, we just looked at. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. That's, I'm, I'm comparing that to 1 Corinthians 15. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Well, this came through an infinite price, the death of Jesus. It was actually through his death that he destroyed him who had the power of death and released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I'm just comparing this passage, which is in our verses today that we're studying with 1 Corinthians 15 that we just looked at, which, which also uses Psalm 110. Okay, now, those verses, just a review and some points. Okay? Review of what we just covered, chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. 
So Psalm 110 verse 1 in chapter 1 establishes already that Jesus has been exalted. Okay. So this is the basis for the author's statement in chapter 2 verse 9. But we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. This point was well established in chapter 1. So chapter 1 and 2 together are a unit. All right. So that's point number one. So the contradiction between, and that's not the right word, I should use a, come up with a better word, but the contradiction between Hebrews 2 verse 8 and Hebrews 2 verse 9, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. We do not yet see all things put in uh put under him, okay? This, again, I call it here contradiction. Uh, I'm not sure. I have to think of a better word. Anyway, this contradiction or this perplexity is solved by Psalm 110, verse 1, which tells us that we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Therefore, we can have hope to know that we're coming. Uh so Jesus was enthroned, but according to Psalm 110, verse 1, even after the enthronement, we should not expect all the enemies to be subdued right away. Sit you here, sit you here, you know, while I make, you know, all your enemies under your footstool, under your feet, okay? So from Psalm 110, verse 1, the people could take courage. Yes, Jesus is at the throne, but we shouldn't feel discouraged that it doesn't look like it because it's according to the Scripture. This is where we're at. We're during the time when the enemies are being subdued. And again, sometimes I run on my head of myself a little bit, but suffering and death does not negate the vision of Psalm verse 8. We see Jesus, who became human, for the suffering of death we see him crowned with glory and honor. So if the original recipients of this message see their loved ones even being martyred, this should not discourage them. This is, you know, Jesus himself was martyred, and he was crowned with glory and honor. This is the logic of this passage. Okay. So now we're going to move to chapter uh, 2, verses 10 through 18. Verse 10 starts out with the words, For it was fitting for him, that is, for, for whom are all things and by whom are all things. So it's fitting for the Father. Now notice. Again, we've already looked at Psalm 8. We see Jesus, right? Crowned with glory and honor. But now notice. In bringing many sons to glory. So Jesus is there, and now comes the assurance we will have the privilege to follow. However, it was fitting to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So it's obviously a very important point here, the introduction of many sons. Not just Jesus. Oh, we're glad for Jesus, but no, he'll never leave us He'll never, you know, forsake us. And now we have the idea of his sufferings introduced. And uh, 
really emphasized in chapter 5. Okay, so that passage starts with the word for, okay, which means it's based on something said before that, right? It means like because, whatever. So what was before that was, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, okay, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. So it's talking about Jesus' suffering, the suffering of death, and how that he was made. Uh, by the way, um, the Greek word behind a little lower than the angels can justly be translated both in Greek and Hebrew, by the way. I just Either qualitatively, a little lower, or uh, like time, for a little while. He's made a little while lower than the angels, which really um, is the way I understand it, uh, applied to Jesus. Okay. Yes, he was made a little while, but he was crowned with glory and honor. Now the angels are worshiping him. And uh, you'll find that in the New American Standard Bible and other Bibles, that translation. Okay, so, by the grace of God, verse 9 said, so it was fitting, verse 10 said, verse 9 said, that he by the grace of God should taste death for everyone. Verse 17 said it was necessary, that is, he had to be make like, made like his brethren. I just wanted to compare those thoughts there. You know, he was gracious, it was by his grace. Uh, it was fitting, it was necessary. He had to be. Verse 17. For it was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, Hebrews 2 verse 7 had said, you have crowned him with glory and honor. Verse 9 said, through suffering to glory and honor. So, yes, he's crowned with glory and honor. Now verse 9 explains to us it was through suffering to glory and honor. Wow, time is flying here. Okay. And now this wonderful verse, bringing many sons to glory. So, verse 11, but both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Okay. So they're clearly, uh, they're all of one. It doesn't say father, but I, I think that's the word here. Are all of one father because he's not ashamed to call them brethren. In other words, there's no, it just says are all of one. Uh, it could be all of one nature, or I think it's all of one father because it talks about his brotherly relationship with the human race. So, in any case, um, Jesus who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, his people on earth, uh, are all of one. And, and for which reason Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers. Okay. Now, with that introduction, we come to some of the most, to me, oh, some of the most glorious verses uh, in the New Testament. Because now he's going to quote three verses, letting... Not the Father speak, but Jesus speak. 
In chapter 1, the Father was speaking either directly to the Son or about the Son. You are my Son, today I have begotten you. I will be to him a Father, he shall be to me a Son. Here, chapter 2, it's the Son who is speaking through the Scriptures. Here we go. So, Hebrews 2, verse 12, quoting Psalm 22, verse 22, which we all know, you know, Jesus quoted on the cross, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. So here's Jesus telling the Father that I will declare your name to my brothers, to my sisters. This verse is quoted to show that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed to call us sisters. So here Jesus is telling the Father, I will worship you with my brothers. Siblings. And then verse 13, quoting Isaiah 8, 17. And again, I will put my trust in him. That's Isaiah 8, 17. So how does this show his you know, solidarity with the brethren and the sisters? Well, we certainly... Uh, can see from this that He is just like us. He was just like us on earth, totally dependent upon God. I will put my trust in Him. I love this verse. It's just a naked, I will put my trust in Him. You know, we all as human beings, we're trusting God, but far more than we know, our trust is in a lot of other things. You know what I'm saying? Our security. But the time is going to come when it's just going to be that that thread, our trust will be in Him. And then, quoting uh, Isaiah 8, 18 this time, they'll quote it, uh, you know, because he says, and again, here am I. So he's making two separate points, even though the verses are together. Um, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Again, showing his solidarity to the Father. I mean, to uh, the children. Here am I, children God's given me. So, um, what we have here is Hebrews chapter 1. The Father speaking, you know, the Scriptures being used to, for the Father speaking directly to the Son or about the Son. Here in chapter 2, we have the Son speaking to the Father. So here is this relationship between the Father and the Son on display here in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2. And the beautiful thing, the amazing thing, is that now we are a part of that conversation. You know, Ephesians 1, uh, I think it's verse 6. Um, it says, we are accepted in the Beloved. What is that? You know, uh, I was talking to a high school I mean, an academy group not too long ago, and I asked him, well, what does that mean, beloved? Well, nobody, nobody knew, so I'm going to assume not everybody knows what that means, the word beloved. It means the one who is loved. Okay? We're accepted in the one who is loved. By the way, that whole, is it verse 6? Thank you. That whole from, I think, verse 3 on down, everything is in him, in Christ. Okay. And so here it says, we're accepted not just in him, 
but in the one who is love. Which means, dear friends, as Jesus himself prayed and said in, in his prayer in John chapter 17, that we're loved with the same love with which the Father loves the Son. Jesus said that. You have loved them as you have loved me. And as it is written in one of my favorite books, we need not think. We need not think about what the Father thinks of us, but what the Father thinks of His Son. Because we are accepted in the one who is loved. That's where we're at. That's, that's where we are. Here is this discussion, this conversation between the Father and the Son. And the, the response is back. The, the, the father is about the enthronement of the son. The son, largely, is about the, the others who are coming. It's beautiful. Ephesians 1, verse 3, um, accepted in the beloved. And uh, that, that passage, by the way, begins, uh, I think, in verse 3, with, um, has blessed us with uh, every blessing in heavenly places. That means that every blessing that heaven has belongs to us. And uh, sometimes I, I just imagine there's a vast warehouse in heaven, you know, that makes the Amazon warehouses look like nothing, and there's stored spiritual blessings for every possible circumstance in need here on planet Earth. Every one of them is ours in Him, in Jesus. And I can hardly think of that verse without telling this story, okay? You know, I'm digressing a little here. Um, there was a gentleman who um, had come from Europe to this country. This is back in the day. Came here to you know, try to have a, a better life and, and, you know, moved in New York City and one of the... Uh, and he began to work, and he's trying to save up money, but he got a letter from home, and so-and-so, you know, is very, very sick. You, you should come. So he, you know, counted the money he had, got him a ticket. Day came, he got on the boat. He took his suitcase, with, you know, had everything he had in it, but he mostly had in there cheese and crackers because it was a long trip, right? The long trip. And... So every day, three times a day, he'd go down in his third-class room and he'd, well, I think in the morning he had cheese and crackers and in the, for lunch he had crackers and cheese. And, uh, of course, he'd walk on the ship during the day and he'd walk past the cafeteria and he could smell the sweet potatoes and, you know, the smell coming from there. And he had just pennies left, really, and but he just said, you know what, if I could just get one meal, it would really help. So he asked one of the uniformed individuals, well, how much would it cost me to get one meal? And uh, he said, well, what do you mean, sir? Well, I'm here. I, I, I got my ticket. I've been eating in my room, but I'd just like to get one meal, one hot meal. Sir, didn't you know the meals came with the ticket? That's the truth with us. We have a high priest who is enthroned in heaven. And we are accepted in the same love with which the Father loves him. 
we're in the middle, really. The son loves the father, the father loves the son, and we are the other brothers and sisters. Every spiritual blessing that heaven has is ours in him. So we shouldn't be eating just cheese and crackers. We should be rejoicing in the riches of heaven. Okay, let me see what I got here. I actually may... All right, so here we go. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. And as much then as the children are partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. This is fairly um, adamant, isn't it? He himself likewise okay, shared in the same, the same flesh and blood. And uh, other places, he emphasizes, therefore, he's able to help those who are tempted. Here, uh, the emphasis is on, this was done uh, so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This is the great accomplishment of heaven, of, of the Savior on our behalf. He became man. He conquered temptation and death itself. He was enthroned in heaven for us. Father in heaven, thank you um, that you are the God who speaks. You spoke through the prophets and you speak through your Son. Please speak to us as we continue to study this wonderful book. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.